Well, well, well. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Bless You Boys podcast. BlessYouBoys.com, of course. You're home for all things Detroit Tigers baseball on the SB Nation platform. Um, we just witnessed a scintillating contest between the Tigers and the Rangers. I'm here, your host, Brandon Day, with my co-host, Ashley McLennan. Ashley, how's it going? Not too shabby. I missed said competition. Um, how did the Tigers fare? Um, they lost, which is all oh, okay. Know. You almost had me on pins and needles there thinking that something good might have happened. No, I kind of looked up at one point and was like, oh, Shane Green's pitching. Wait, what? And I was like, oh, no. Okay, he's just getting some work. <laughs> yeah. He's just getting some work. Oh, yeah. depressing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, uh, not so great. Um, you know, Mr. Zimmerman's back, which I guess fills a, a hole in the rotation with something. Yeah, he sure <laughs> sure is there pitching some innings. Yeah, he sure is out there on that mound throwing baseballs at people. Yeah, hopefully back, not coming not right at them. Yeah, hopefully not right at them. He does have he does still have good control, so I guess we don't have to worry about that. It's the ones coming back at him that are probably more scary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so the Tigers lost. Um, you know, whatever. Um, I don't know. We we what I what I did want to do tonight though is uh, and not even as a joke. Uh, you know, it's just been kind of such a messed up season in terms of like how much went wrong early on. And none of us really had any hopes to begin with, except for that this team would be fun. But a lot of things have gone gone wrong in the injury department and multiple other departments. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I, you know, I just was thinking if some of these things hadn't gone wrong and we kind of knew the season would go like this, and I guess we all kind of did. It just sucks to sit here while it plays out agonizingly over the course of six months. A lot of things have gone right. There's actually been quite a bit of uh, of, of good news in the in the Tigers uh, organization, but it's it's just all swallowed because it's so like spotty and hit or miss. Well, it's like it's like subplots, really. Like it's like watching a TV show just because you really like a side character. Yeah. Um, but the main storyline is garbage. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Yep. <laughs> the production value is horrific. Like, but you're just like here? really, really into this one like super funny sidekick character and his like antics, and that's why you keep watching. And that yeah. is the Tiger season in a nutshell. Yeah, and so like from my perspective, like the the fun like side characters would be like, although she's on Legion now and like has a well at, at times a bigger role on that would be like anything Aubrey Plaza has been in because she's not oh, in that yes. many things that are good. But I mean, if Aubrey Plaza, Plaza like does a soap commercial, I'm probably gonna watch it like five. But similarly, like you got to look at a guy like um, uh, Nick Offerman, you know, because mm-hmm. if we're going to get into like Parks and Rec side characters, I would watch an entire show about Ron Swanson. Yeah, or Nick like, Offerman. Or, or Nick Offerman. Yeah. I've read almost all of his books. He's amazing. Yeah, I've read the um, one. I read the one that was about the paddling. Oh, paddling uh, your own canoe. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was good. He did one about like his great heroes through history as well, which I found very interesting. <laughs> Um, but yeah, he's, uh, he's an intriguing fella, but, um, yeah, like who didn't love the Ron Swanson side plots in Parks and Rec, and even though they were just a small part of it, right? Yeah. Cause they were just, they were batshit crazy. And like, there's a part of him that everyone identifies with and he's just, you know, just deadpan and hilarious. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there are some, some Ron Swansons in this Tigers season. Yes. Now that we've established the metaphor, um, <laughs> Please select a Ron Swanson from Do the Tigers. Do you guys get it? It's, it's, a, it's a metaphor. <laughs> we really like spelled it out for you. Um, I would say for me, mine has probably got to be Jacoby Jones right now. Yeah. Yep. Two more hits tonight. Triple and a single. 
Um, he's, he's been fun. He's he also like he's just a fun seeming guy too. Yeah. Like he's just got that kind of like youthful charm, and he's kind of just adorable. You want to like I want to Auntie Ashley style pinch his cheeks. Uh, yeah, we've kind of described him as like a a. a a beautiful and free wild pony on the range on numerous occasions. Like those kind of metaphors because he just, he runs really well. He's super athletic out there. He always got a smile. Yep. Like, I just want to hang out in the bleachers with his mom and like watch him hit dingers and just talk baseball with her. Well, he does great things. Yep. And you know, that was all well and good, but then here we are two months into the Jacoba sense, as I explained <laughs> it earlier. Yeah. It seems like, I mean, you know, two months isn't enough to get, like, crazy excited, but but considering where we were coming from, like, he's really, really, really hit the ball well for, like, seven, eight weeks now. Um, and it's starting to get kind of intriguing, actually. It's almost time to start actually believing in it. Yeah, which is which is hard for us. You know, we have, we have troubles with belief. The Tigers have disillusioned us. It's hard to, hard to buy in on anybody. We've got they've, people out there ready to trade Matt Boyd for, like, a bag of beans. Just because they don't broke. believe he could really be better. I don't know. Here's the th- I don't know if it's that they don't believe he can be better. I just think that the people willing to trade Matt Boyd do not think his value will ever be higher. I think, yeah, that there are some people who, who take that tack. And I think that's true. But then there's also the people who are just like, trade him before he gets hurt. Like for, you know, for almost anything. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, th- it takes all kinds and stuff. And I'm, there are far more nuanced positions than that all over the site from various commenters but you know there is a little bit of like people are so fed up they're just like ah, get rid of him anyway you know whatever well i think there's also the sting of what happened with michael fulmer where you look at a guy who had just such a breakout amazing rookie season and, and definitely that wasn't the matt boyd story yeah um uh, but he's having a kind of late resurgence amazing season and i say late like he's old but he is not old yeah. um and so i don't know i think it's it's different stories, but I feel like people are just still burned by what happened with Fulmer, where he just really never managed to make it up to what we saw from him in that rookie campaign. Yeah, and I, I think never... people are worried that this is the same situation. Yeah, yeah, and I, I mean, and there's some truth to that, but, you know, I'd also, like, like to caution people, and I kind of haven't even bothered to do this yet, because you, you just can't even bother until he's actually back, but, you know... Michael Fulmer didn't, you know, burst into flames and and turn to dust on us or anything like that. Like, oh, he's, you know, no. he's going to be I back mean, next year. You know, I mean, I I don't know what's going to become of him. Um, I you know, it keeps like striking me that maybe because of the knees more than even the elbow, like maybe at some point a move to relief is going to have to be, you know, the path forward. But um, but we don't know. And of course, Michael Fulmer came to us with a rash of injuries and has ended, I think, every single season. Um, with us with an injury <laughs> so I think with the exception of his rookie year I think even then there was something that went wrong toward the end and they shut him down uh, but I can't I can't exactly recall or he had some procedure in the offseason maybe they were just cleaning up I think it was chips. an offseason thing for sure yeah. there was something in the offseason there and everyone was like oh no yeah whereas you know Matt Boyd obviously has been super durable and you know these these changes you know I understand like the last couple starts haven't been as good and He's given up some home runs and having some trouble with that and stuff, but this isn't like last year. Like he pitched so much better up till now than he did last year. Last year was like the kind of fluky thing where the guy's just getting good batted ball luck and and the hits aren't falling with runners in scoring position. Now it's like he's striking out more guys than Justin Verlander. He's not walking anybody, and yeah, every once in a while he's getting hit up, but he's also got you know ass for defense behind him. 
and uh you know huge lawns out there probably not the best of catching uh are we, are yeah. we are we're regretting james mccann yet no we're not regretting that but no we are, regret, we are angry perhaps or getting angry that the tigers don't just get on with things and bring in uh mr rogers but we'll see how it goes oh my time. god you just made me realize the sheer delight i cannot no. wait for jake rogers to come up and be amazing knockwood and for breaking tea to come out with some variety of like Mr. Rogers neighborhood shirt. Yeah. Don't oh try to steal God. in Mr. Rogers neighborhood. That's all I'm telling you. So good. Yeah. Don't try to run on Mr. Rogers. Not in this neighborhood. Not in this neighborhood, kid. You're in Mr. Rogers' yard now. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah, so Jacoby's been fun. Like Kristen Stewart's been okay. Nico's had his moments. Like, Spencer you know, they're, they're... Turnbull's been Spencer yeah. Turnbullin. Yeah, Spencer Turnbull has continued to pitch pretty well. Um, hasn't been as quite as erratic as Boyd is, and that just goes back to Spencer Turnbull hardly ever allowing any home runs, even though he's kind of wild and stuff. But yeah, I mean, we're you know almost three months into the season. He's got a three eight one FIP, I think, something like that, which is real good. I mean, then that's his that's his FIP. So, and people you know out there will look up his X FIP, uh, and if you want to know what these mean, you can go to Ashley's YouTube channel and find a FIP. <laughs> Video over there, and we'll keep public. versus XFIP even. Yeah, I feel like looking at his subscribers XFIP. over there. Get over there and subscribe. I feel like but, looking at his XFIP with only like a half season under his belt isn't really fair. No, and it's just. I mean, I like XFIP. It is useful to show yourself that, like, okay, maybe it's just been some fluky home run, you know, good or bad luck. But Spencer Turnbull never gave home home runs like his whole time in the minor leagues, and so it makes sense that he hasn't given up very many now. He gives up a lot more hits. Then Boyd, because there's more balls on the ground and all that sort of thing. Just more balls that are, you know, harder to field in play. But, um, but yeah, he's been good. So between Boyd and Turnbull, Jacoby Jones, Shane Green, like, it hasn't been all bad. And this No, is, there's um, definitely been up notes. Just, I mean, even if you, even, let's say it, Miguel Cabrera has been uh, an upside, I would say. I mean, aside from his lack of power and obviously the issues with injury that we're going to have to keep an eye on for the rest of his career, yeah. um, he's hitting remarkably well, considering he missed all of last season. Um, I mean, And he's been on the field. Yeah, I guess, you know, maybe more than anything, like that was all you could really ask for is that, you know, he would be able to stay healthy as long as possible and play and, you know, give us some, you know, have some fun out there, etc. And maybe there'll be a little power burst sometime when it gets hot out. I don't know. We'll see. I think for Miggy, the big trick is going to be that he's going to have to find some adjustments and learn that he may not be a power hitter going forward, but he can still be like just an incredible asset to the team. Yeah, he can still be a you know an, a, a guy who collects a lot of RBIs and gets on base plenty. Um, and, and at least isn't a burden, you know, it's like sort of a rallying, you know, guy, you know, that you're like, yeah, you know, when Miggy does something good, it picks the whole team up and yeah, which, you know, obviously is kind of a drag considering how we, we would prefer you know, it to be. We would prefer it to be Miggy becomes a DH, like gets his routine down, his knees start, you know, feeling better cause he's not taking infield practice as much. And he's just not, you know, he's just hitting just, that's all he's doing. And I mean, that could still be the case. You never know. He could go full Nelson Cruz for a couple years. I I certainly am not going to predict that to anyone, though. And probably there's some people out there like, shut up. Don't even make me think happy thoughts (laughs) like that. So here's my question. So this wasn't something we talked about ahead of time. But I'm curious because I asked this months ago on Twitter and the answers intrigued me. Do you feel like a decline in a player's later career has any impact on their chances of of being a Hall of Fame contender? 
Um, I think in in certain cases, like where where a guy is like kind of borderline, yeah, may, maybe it can. So like, so, so for my example, like when I was asking it, my my question was based on Joe Mauer because I am of the opinion that Joe Mauer should be in the Hall of Fame. He his his Jaws score for catchers is seventh. Like he's seventh overall, which means we're talking in every catcher that ever was his his war over the top years of his career. I think the top seven years of his career is how Jaws is calculated. But like seventh of all time. Like, so, I mean, and, and there's a lot of things that I would argue, we're just not getting off topic, but that I would argue that make Joe Maurer a, a strong candidate for the Hall of Fame, um, especially with the underrepresentation of catchers in general. Yeah, which um, we've talked about a, a number of times. It's it's yeah. an obsessive point for me, and I apologize. No, um, no. <laughs> you can blame my love for Bill Freehand. Um, <laughs> but I, I think it's very interesting if you look at the fact that his he was so strong at the peak of his career, and he was never bad. But he did decline somewhat as he moved to first base and as he kind of aged. And yeah. I have to wonder, Miguel Cabrera, obviously, one of the greatest hitters of our generation. Um, triple crown winner, all-star, 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 you know, a million different titles. Um, but I just have to wonder if we if see him moving to DH and we see him losing that power. Do you think that impacts his chances at all? I don't because I think he's... I think he's in already. Okay. Um, I mean, there is the problem that if he doesn't manage to get to, to 500 home runs, like maybe that could put a little, little bit of a, a little bit of fly in the ointment, I suppose. But I also, I mean, I kind of have been making this argument for Justin Verlander for years that like, if you want to judge Justin Verlander by like the standards of the sixties and seventies, like, yeah, he's just now getting there. Um, but if you want to look at like, are we ever going to elect anybody to the Hall of Fame again? He's yeah, he's already you know he's already <laughs> been in for a long time because like nobody's going to get three hundred wins and you know three thousand plus strikeouts and all these these kind of things that that don't come up that often anymore. The strikeouts might happen. I mean, I think Verlander will get three hundred you know three thousand strikeouts, but and maybe he'll get three hundred wins. I mean, it's not impossible the way he's going. Um, you know, if he can pitch another, I don't know, five five good years, maybe six where he's at least, you know, like above average over the course of the whole thing, you know, maybe he will still get there and that'll kind of make that a moot point. But you know, Scherzer's not coming close to that. Kershaw probably is not coming close to that. So yeah. So in Miggy's case, I think that, you know, I think the triple crown kind of, kind of wraps it up, even though it's sort of an archaic. Well, and he does have a world series win too, which I mean, if we're looking at like the, the, the ticks, the checks that, you know, people say are unnecessary because I think the World Series one's ridiculous, but he does yeah. have it. Um, and so if that's a thing, he's got it. Um, but the, yeah, the Triple Crown, he was just so strong. I think you look at kind of comparing to a guy like an Albert Pujols, where I don't think anybody doubts that Pujols will make it into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, for Even sure. though he's had a pretty steep decline in his later years. Yeah, for sure. Sorry, I know that's probably going to... It was just loudness <laughs> in my street outside. Yes, <laughs> I it was. I could tell. I, yeah. I have my my desk is right in front of my bedroom window right now, or my office window, I should say. And so sometimes uh, it's loud. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice. It's nice and warm out. You know, get the windows That's open. Beautiful. So. I do have the windows open, so we might find uh, we might get some other noises. Maybe Ashley will be attacked by bats. 
Uh, it's a possibility, or it could be that the like the Narcotics Anonymous meeting at the church across the street lets out, and the very boisterous attendees <laughs> exit, um, and oh, they. Geez. They love to use. Oh, I have the. I love the phrase. The Without idea their that, narcotics, they you know no, they got plenty of energy. No, I mean they're they're all good, but I found that the the funny thing is like I've heard it said before that um, profanity should be seasoning to a sentence and not like the full meal. Ooh, yeah, that's great. Um, and they definitely believe uh, in a fast food menu of of uh, f bombs. Oh yeah, like um, a cheap <laughs> like a cheap dirty potpourri of f bombs oh, yeah, pouring down uh, the street uh, in the middle of the night. It's boisterous. <laughs> well, God bless them. I hope they're all doing all right. That's a hard thing to kick. Yeah. So oh, yeah. Yeah, they're, yeah they're... so like to go back to your Joe Maurer point, like, like I mean, I think it's easy for people to forget like that Joe Maurer was not only like a really good hitter, you know, for years, like a like a top ten ish hitter at you know, for a couple years, but that he was also a really, really great defensive catcher through all that time and yeah, I mean, they just don't last that long. And I've kind of made that point about Jake Rogers, you know, whereas, the, you know, it's different Use because Jake now. Rogers isn't that, yeah, isn't that kind of a hitter, but you're kind of wasting his prime if his, you know, his best tool is always going to be his defense. You know, it's not going to get better from here and it's going to get worse eventually later in his career when his knees start to, you know, start to hurt every morning and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it's, I don't think you can hold it against Joe Maurer that like the, the prime didn't last that long because it's really hard to be a good, good hitting catcher. Like Buster has kind of managed it by moving to first base, but even he's fallen off and he didn't have, you know, those concussion issues and, and that weird, that fucking weird lower half, like numbness or whatever was going on with Joe Maurer for a year or two. Um, it was one of the scarier things I'd ever, I'd ever heard of just cause no one could even, no baseball person could even explain what the hell they were talking about. Cause we just, you know, it didn't, it wasn't an injury that existed in the parlance really ever, you know, like lower, lower half, you know, numbness or nervous issues or whatever was going on. So, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, and I guess that, you know, whatever, it was probably a, you know, pinch nerve maybe issue or something that they eventually worked out. But, um, but yeah, you know, you just can't expect catchers to go that long. So, yeah, I think he gets in. And I think this goes to your, your overall crusade about, you know, catchers in the Hall of Fame in general that, yeah, I mean, Joe Maurer should get in. Yadi Molina should be in. Like, you kind of have to, catcher's that one position where I'm I'm more willing to listen to, like, anecdotal you know <laughs> opinions or whatever from people anecdotal evidence and that's of, the thing i think know, it's, like, who's it's kind of unfair to like lean on the latter half for catchers because so many of them do have to make those moves to yeah. first or to dh or in a rare case because usually your catchers are not necessarily going to be your best hitters um but yeah you're usually going to see them go to first and i don't know that it's really fair to judge a catcher's hall of fame like you know, allowedment, I just made up a word because I couldn't figure it, but, you know, <laughs> chances, opportunities, um, based on something like, oh, they only played that position for nine years. I don't think that that's fair um, because literally their legs would fall off if they had to play longer than that. Yeah, <laughs> like, for sure. Whereas with Miggy, yeah, I mean, it is, it is tougher. Like, I, you know, if, I don't know. I, I think if Miggy, Miggy's going to be one of those guys that is probably a little bit controversial just because people are going to make hardware arguments like, oh, he's the MVP twice and Triple Crown has a World Series ring. He's a lock. Um, and, the, you know, and that's fine. But I think we all know that probably Mike Trout was the MVP both of those those two seasons. 
And then this turns me back into the whole Justin Verlander, Cy Young conversation where, you know, I've oh, tried to keep Rick Justin Verlander. for sure. Yeah. And, and even the Price and Snell years, you know, like, you know, fine. I'm not going to make a huge fuss about those. But the Porcello year especially was just like just pure nonsense. The, I thought. the Porcello so, year was a joke. Like, yeah, let's just it really call it what it is. It's you absurd. Know absurd like mm-hmm. i mean porcello had a great season but the voting on that year was just atrocious yeah and then the, you add in the you know the voters yeah just just completely botching it and leaving them off the ballot like you just knew it was it was kind of ass there in general but were you thinking florida yeah yeah i didn't want to call out tampa for that because we'll get to you later st <laughs> petersburg tampa oh, area God. yeah yeah, so, yeah, I mean, I think Miggy's in because of all those kind of things, but, you know, there is kind of an argument um, that, that you know, he, he might be considered borderline because he never really provided, you know, that much defensive value. Like, he played a decent third base for a long time, but, you know, was never really above average for, for much of that time, so... But, you know, just just one of the great pure hitters of all time, and I think that will, that will probably carry him without too much trouble. But, yeah, the catchers are just, you know, just screwed. Just, just getting screwed. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe we can hope for Miggy to, um, to you know, to, to still pull something out. Like, as long as Miggy's healthy and, like, and getting reps, like, I, I'm content. Like, I, I think I'm just kind of over it. Like, I can't really be terribly positive, and I'm, and I'm not upset, and I'm just sort of, he's going to be there for a while, you know, be in the DH, and, you know, that kind of clogs yeah. up your, your flexibility in certain ways, but he's also productive enough as a hitter where, you know, like, if there's a runner on base, like, I kind of feel like, you know... There, you know, there's a bunch of hitters better than Miggy, but you know, are there, are there thirty or forty guys more likely to get a hit there? I don't know. I'm not sure that there are. So, yeah, I don't know. He might still prove useful, even though it's not, you know, exactly what we would want. He is a. I think someone some better said that like Miguel Cabrera just has a natural gift for reading pitches. Like it's just something you can't you can't teach. It's just something that some guys have where they can just see the ball. And know what's coming. And I think that regardless of how powerful his swing is or how anything else is happening, you can't take that away. And I think as a result of that, he's going to continue to at least be productive for the remainder of his career. Yeah, I think at least the next couple. Um, I guess, you know, it's just hard to say. Like, you always have to factor in injury risk and especially with him at and his age. age. I yeah. mean, you're, you're going to slow down naturally as a result of age as both you and I, um, me in my mid-30s and you just passed, <laughs> um, can attest that our bodies <laughs> do not quite, you. um, you're welcome, um, do not quite work the same anymore. It is true. I could actually make, I could actually draw a bit of a parallel between like being more stiff and like, and lower back, having little bits of lower back issue playing golf to like what Maggie's doing because it is hard to like bend your knees and keep your knees flexed and have the same strength and flexibility to go down and, and hit the ball as hard as, as I used to. Like you just, you yep. tend to like stiffen up and, and use your hamstring power almost more than anything and like stand up on everything. And I think you kind of see that in his swing a little bit where, I mean, he's still hitting the ball almost as hard as, as he ever has, which is kind of fascinating, but yeah, he just, he just cannot get underneath it and drive them in the air as much as he used to. And yeah, I don't know. Maybe that'll come around. I mean, it's just so hard to say after all these injuries, somebody was saying, one of my buddies that worked to me was saying, is it normal for a guy to just fall off as fast as Miggy kind of has? And I thought about it and I was just like, eh, but it just, it hasn't been that fast. It's just that we didn't really see it because he was out, you know, for, for two years straight really with, you know, fairly serious injuries. And then 
if your skills, you know, your natural hand-eye coordination and all that, and your reaction time and bat speed, you know, you just lose that one step during that time period. All of a sudden, you come back, and people are like, "Oh, maybe it'll come back," and it just never does. Um, and yeah. he, he may be there. So, but yeah, I mean, he's not. You know, he's not terrible. He's just just not hitting enough home runs in an era where you need to hit home runs or you're almost useless. Yeah, yeah, it is very much a, a long ball era right now, and whether that's because of the way the balls are being thrown, the speed of the the pass balls, or because of the ball itself, we're definitely seeing a huge uptick it uptick in it <laughs> over the last you know two seasons. <laughs> you combine um, that all into like a um, I'm trying to think of what it was almost I like mean, a New Englander word. Like it was like a beautiful <laughs> messy portmanteau um, that was entirely unintentional. Um, just mash my words together. Yeah, connect. What did you say? Schenectady? I can't remember. Schenectady. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like ticket in the era. I don't. I'm just amazing. Yep. Was, oh my god. No, that, that was pretty inventive. I thought. Good job. Thank you. Yeah. I am an author, so I will invent <laughs> words frequently. No, Ashley has an official official pass to invent words and do whatever <laughs> they, she needs they, to do. The second you publish a book, they hand a card. Heard <laughs> over to you that says you may invent words at your leisure. Yep, you are, um, so I do. You are now a word artist, and we will yeah, not word, criticize. Word, you. Wordsmith level up, and you, you know, just uh, keep building your prowess. Yep, for sure. Yep. So I mean, I don't know. We we were kind of joking before the podcast. It looked like this would be our like. Okay, we're looking at the bright side today for a second. Uh, but I think we're done, and we already moved deep into like aging sadness. You know. <laughs> Know that it was a sad discussion. I think it, the it discussions of Hall of Fame are kind of an interesting thing um, because I mean it is such a pointless, <laughs> really. Like it's so arbitrary in a lot of ways the way that these things are decided. I know I got so. in a bunch of I got in a bunch of yelling matches with some of like the Uber nerds, and these are like nerds who are on a higher level than I am, whose math skills are beyond me, and who can talk condescendingly to me about algorithms if they want to. Uh, but I was basically just like, why isn't, you know, if you're thinking about who you want for the Cy Young, wouldn't it be if that if you rolled back the season to the beginning and everyone was going to pitch the same and you asked every manager who was going to make the playoffs which pitcher they wanted out of the American and National League, like that should tell you who the Cy Young Award winner is. And by that method, I'm convinced that Justin Verlander has four Cy Young Awards. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you're, I don't think you're wrong. Does Justin Verlander need me to to just stand for him this hard all the time? <laughs> no, <laughs> man. I think Justin, I think him, where I am like such a hardcore advocate for Bill Freehan getting into the Hall of Fame belatedly. Yeah. Um, go Veterans Committee uh, or Eras Committee or whatever they're calling it now. Um, yeah. You are a, a, a Verlander stan and that's acceptable. Yeah. It's uh, also think... a very, you know, bright side or kind of position to take. I'm not exactly going out in a loom here. <laughs> No, I mean, it's not like, yeah, there's really, being a fan of Justin Verlander is not exactly hard work. Like, you're not alone. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's pretty comfortable. It really is. Uh, I guess I can give myself some credit for, in 2014 and 2015, um, screeching at people like a teenager about how they didn't understand, and he's going to be fine, and you're all haters, and how can you turn on him like this? And I hate you all. I hate you. So, there was I mean. You and I are both going to feel so vindicated someday when Daniel Norris turns into just a beast. Because, mm -hmm. like, the guys on ESPN Radio in Toledo, it's a running joke for them now to ask me about Daniel Norris. Like, they they think it's amusing how much I believe in his potential. Yep. 
And Daniel, of course, like has already like outproven probably a good third of the fan base who was just like he's garbage, cut him by doing just fine. Like he's been okay. <laughs> it's just yeah. been okay and he keeps looking better and better. Um I don't know. The defense kind of screwed him in his last outing and he blew up in the second inning and then went seven innings and was fine. So We'll see. I mean, I don't know. I, you know, I think Daniel Norris, um, amusingly enough, as much as I am a fan and like him, like he, he kind of invites some of this on himself. Cause I don't understand, like, I don't know if, if Dan, if Daniel Norris has an agent or what, but no one is more connected to various interesting products than Daniel Norris. Like, you know, the, the dudes, if he's got an agent, that person is out there hustling like a mofo because <laughs> you know, he's got Oakley sunglasses on, he's wearing whatever North face gear and, well, Okay, I mean, it's like, I mean, I understand that he has model look. Yes, I'm going to say, like, he's a beautiful (laughs) man. Like, if you have skill of any level as an athlete, any level, and have that face, you're going to get ad campaigns. I mean, he's he's handsomer than C.J. Wilson, isn't he? C.J. Wilson had a head and shoulders campaign. He did, but Daniel's better looking than that. I think it depends on your your. This is a weird topic. Oh, um, so I, ha- I do have a taste. Oh, that's that's no, crazy. No, that's crazy to Wilson, find out at my age. C.J. Wilson was very traditionally good looking. Like he's the kind of guy that you would like meet on a beach in California, and he's a lifeguard. Whereas like Daniel Norris definitely looks more like the kind of guy that you would meet at like you know you know outward bound music festival like Bonnaroo yeah. and like. Yeah. He's like making his own made, own homemade kombucha in the back of his van, and you think maybe the scent of patchouli off of him is because he hasn't showered in seven weeks. Um, that's the the level of attractive difference. Yeah. <laughs> like they're they're very distinct. You know, and he's got a <laughs> like Daniel Norris comes out of job the, comes out of the woods and a whole bunch of he was you know, like kind of outdoorsy girls all woods. just are just all suddenly impregnated. Oh by, yeah, hippie by, chicks. Yeah. yeah, and he's he's got like a side gig as a barista, but at like a, a fair trade uh, coffee shop. <laughs> yeah, and he's also like the the photographer of of the whole you know the whole scene, whatever the scene is. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's our boy. So, yeah, I think um, I think we've articulated the the interesting Daniel Norris conundrum perfectly. Like, it's just funny though because like his Instagram, there's all kinds of like the usual stuff, and then it's like who is this baseball player who takes all these arty photographs and is constantly posing for product placement and stuff like that? Very funny. He gave an interview before the season and he was kind of talking about, you know, it was just funny to hear it from him where he was just talking about being social media savvy and, you know, how that's, you know, the fans, you know, want to interact with us now and they want to see what our lives are like. And, you know, I'm all about, you know, I'm all about that too. And sharing myself. It was just like, this guy doesn't talk. He just, he's just, he doesn't talk like a ball player at all. But then, when he's on the field, he's he's he feels very very ball player. I think that's what makes him more interesting, honestly, because I think there's something more to him than I am good at baseball. I yeah. think he's got this enigmatic appeal, um, and he's just a very interesting guy. Yeah, like like if he showed up in a clip with like Jason Momoa and like I don't know, like that Alex Honnold kid, the the free solo rock climber, or like you could like that would all come together, and it's like who. Who does that? Like, we're in, you know, baseball doesn't do a great job of, of bridging gaps like that. Um, you know, it's kind of all, like, if you're in baseball world, you are just in baseball world, and that's that's kind of yeah. it. Um, it's interesting, like, seeing, like, Kawhi Leonard, like, come down at a, at a Toronto Blue Jays game in the in the crowd and how just insane they go. 
you know, for, for him there. And it's like, yeah, that's, you know, that would happen. But if, you know, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe if Vlad Guerrero Jr. walked down, you know, at a Toronto Raptors game and the crowd was on him, they'd all go batshit too. Maybe I think if it happened right after the Jays won the World Series, absolutely. Yeah. People yeah. would lose their minds. Yeah, that's yeah, fair. It would 100% happen that way. Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing you have to realize too is that it's, it, it's a very specific Toronto thing too. Yeah. Because Toronto are not exactly accustomed to winning things. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Like... Yeah. You got the Leafs, and the Leafs are a tragic team of like the top, like the top level. Like they just have never won. So many Canadian jokes are about how like I won't propose to her until the Leafs win the you know the Stanley Cup, and like that nonsense. Um, Not to mention like at least a full album's worth of tragically hip songs. Oh yeah, and then like you know you've got the Raptors who hadn't won in the twenty four twenty five year history of their franchise, and you have the Jays haven't won since nineteen ninety three. So I mean, it's yeah, uh, probably a terrible example, really. No, I mean, of course you say you say it to a Canadian too, right? So I mean, so much of our national identity, except with the exception of hockey, is tied up in Toronto sports because that's the only baseball team. It's the only basketball team. So, like, it's it's very specifically kind of the home of Canadian sports in that way. At least with, for the foreseeable future. Yeah. No. Well, I don't think you're going to see a basketball. <laughs> and they're not going to make another basketball team just because the Raptors won. No, um, for sure. But yeah, if you're talking about baseball, yes, yeah, I'm just teasing is. the I'm teasing the Rays situation, but we'll get we'll have to get to that later. Yeah. Um. But yeah, yeah. I guess what am I trying to get? I, you know, I it just tied it together with me that. It's just weird seeing a baseball player in the context that Daniel Norris ends up in. And then I also noticed that I bought um, super pretzels, like those big, like mall pretzels that you get frozen and then just nuke, whatever. Um, Hold up. And Mike Trout. And Mike Trout is, is the super pretzel spokesman. We need to back up to the fact that you guys can buy frozen, like giant ass ballpark pretzels. In the states, this is a thing. Yeah. Oh yeah, just in the in the frozen foods department, they're not as good, but yeah, but you know, but they 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 make do if you get it in that that five second window before it you know it's not cooked enough or it starts to like congeal into some kind of hard, scary object, which with you would bludgeon people instead of eat as a Witch delicious craft, salty Brandon. snack. Oh yeah, I'm sorry that the I'm sorry that the big soft pretzel hasn't made it to Canada. I, I mean, you, in, ha- in you have to know form. that for anything. In our lives, it does definitely take us at least six to twelve months after you guys uh, to get whatever it is you get. Yeah, so, well, that's okay. I've lived in some small towns in Michigan, so like the same the same stuff goes on there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I luck out because I have a post office box in Minnesota, so I can go pick things up. Oh yeah, from, from America Land on on occasion. Well, like for uh, example, I didn't I didn't have parachute pants until probably like eighty six. 87 you know you, you couldn't go around wearing <laughs> so, parachute pants like you know in thriller era it had to be like a couple years later so for a more hipster <laughs> approach to things uh we didn't get Lacroix until like two years ago and <laughs> the only flavor we originally got was peach pear which i believe is widely considered to be among the worst of the uh, Lacroix flavors um now we have a couple more but i still have to go across the border to get like the fancy ones like key lime or passion fruit oh yeah Oh yeah, that's interesting. It is. It is interesting the way things kind of go back and forth. Well, yeah. I mean, you guys have bagged milk, and we're we're all still. Bagged. We don't all have bagged milk. That is. Oh shut like, up! You lie. No, you. Can't. Some dude comes to can't your house every morning in with a bag of milk. No, that is inaccurate. You're you're being fed lies by the media. Fake news. <laughs> Fake news. 
uh, in Ontario, and I think some places in Saskatchewan, bagged milk is still very much a thing. But in what Manitoba, about, about, like, wait, what about way up in like like Great Slave Lake area and stuff? Okay, well here that's a whole other. Uh, How do you get milk up there? Well, they have to fly it up, and then prices for everything that's even remotely fresh is insane. Oh my god! Yeah, and like oh, okay. you're talking like eleven dollars for a jug of milk, and like you know a watermelon will cost you twenty five. Like it's insane. Oh my god! It's appalling. Like I mean. Wow. Don't get me into the like side note politics of how poorly people in the you know northern Northwest reservation systems yeah, are yeah. treated. Um, but it's uh, I mean, if you just Google Attawapiskat, if you can spell it, congratulations. Um, it's like a northern Ontario reserve, and whew, oh boy, um, like there. If you can visit people their in website, Canada, like, you can actually donate. It's, it's, oh wow, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, it's, glad, um, I'm glad you said that before I made a joke. <laughs> No, I mean, bail- like, I bailed out about like uh, starting a fund for sending watermelon to. <laughs> um, you know, but like we oh, we God. talk about, you know, how people bring up the whole Flint water situation a whole lot. Yeah. Um, there's a ton of that in Canada right now happening in the northern communities. Um, oh. We're just fresh water. Running water isn't even an option. Fresh water is just out of the question. Wow. Um, and also, so, and you only really hear about like the Inuit issues if you hear about anything at all. But obviously, <laughs> there's all kinds of different nations and stuff and reservation situations all through there. But yeah, yeah, yeah it's a it's a big it's a lot. Yeah, no one wants to deal with that. Yeah. Um. Okay. Back to baseball. <laughs> oh, sorry, that yeah. got that got this dark tough... and real, and I apologize. Yeah. Well, everybody should know by now. This, uh, you know. The podcast might meander, might meander into dark territory sometimes. Yeah, at least we're not talking about serial killers this week, I guess. Yeah, that's true. We tried to bring you the the bright light side. Um, And I guess, all right, for the next little little moment here, the bright side is that Riley Green, the Tigers' first-round draft pick this year, just a couple weeks ago, um, debuted in the Gulf Coast League for GSL or GCL Tigers West and mashed two home runs and a double in his, in his debut, which was pretty cool. Um, you know, we, we kind of need to be excited about some of these things. And when you watch, when you watch him play, like you see a kid who is like way beyond most prep hitters. Like he looks very prepared, um, beautiful swing, like, you know, fantastic condition, you know, advanced approach for his age and stuff. So, you know, we went through this a little bit last year with Brock Dethridge. Um, Dethridge! You know, yeah, but of course, Brock Dethridge is like three years older, and no one really ever thought he was going to be anything. So it was cute, but not that big of a deal. But um, but yeah, yeah, Riley Green definitely kind of shook shook everybody up the other day. And we had Adam Dubbin down there, um, James Chipman, who does a lot of scouting um, of, of the Lakeland complex in general um who i talked to a bit you know was down there and they were both like really impressed um and especially like james doesn't get very impressed so he was he was when he was raven i was like oh shit this oh is pretty man okay. that is high praise yeah so that was good and then tonight our boy nick quintana um who i think is ashley and i's possible new new favorite position player in the tigers yeah system, man i've already got my jersey first home run. i'm ready for it it's between him and jake rogers for my future favorite tiger oh yeah yeah i'm definitely a big big jake rogers fan as well but yeah so he had his first home run and that was cool and some of that stuff kind of helped leaven the i don't even want to call it disappointment but just the almost inevitability that franklin perez came up pitched you know one start again and didn't you know just a rehab start where he went a couple innings and then immediately Went right back into the, the injured list with more inflammation because Franklin Perez always has inflammation. Um, and the question, I guess, with all that, 
and we've been kind of talking about this quite a bit, is um, what all pitchers have inflammation. And so what is really going on here? And I don't know, there's been like Anthony Fennec retweeted something the other day about, you know, like some questions about Franklin Perez's, you know, kind of work ethic and, you know, like, I guess, pain tolerance, if you want to put it that way, to where, you know, he just kind of keeps having inflammation and, and getting shut down, but they never find anything structurally wrong. And... That just sounds like normal pitching, um, unfortunately, to most of us. Um, and, I don't, and I don't really, I don't want to call Franklin Press out or like, you know, or, or necessarily like criticize his work ethic or his pain tolerance or anything. I don't, I don't really, we don't have any way to know these things. But when you just keep pitching one time and then you're sore, well, that's just what happens. Like every pitcher is sore after they pitch. Um, and so it's really kind of hard to know what's going on down there. Um, and people were pulling up quotes from vice president of the Tigers, Dave Littlefield, last year, where he was talking about this same thing, same exact scenario last year, because I think this is this is trip four or five um, since we got Franklin Perez in the Justin Verlander deal, and he's never been able to stay on the mound more than a couple times. Um, and at that point, Littlefield was talking about how, you know, they got it figured out and they were sure... You know, he'd be fine and you'd be seeing him back on the mound and they just wanted to be careful and make sure they got all the inflammation out and he'd be back. Well, that was a year ago and like three <laughs> injured list stints, you know, before this. And um, I don't know, it's really it's really raising a lot of questions. And I've kind of heard I've heard the same thing from a couple different angles and you never know for sure. But um, I don't know, it's, it's starting to become very concerning that maybe Franklin Perez just doesn't, like, he's just not built to pitch for whatever reason, and that's why the Astros never had him pitch very much either, and he was injured a bunch when they did have him pitch, and I don't know, it all kind of adds up to feeling like the Tigers got sold a bill of uh, bill of goods here, unfortunately. Yeah, I don't know, it just seems like he makes it back for half a game, and then he's gone again. So it's pretty hard to believe that if that's happening to him at a minor league level, that we're ever actually going to see anything from him beyond that. Yeah. Yeah. And if, you know, and if they were finding something that they could, you know, that they could fix or if he needed surgery or if they were changing his delivery, even like you would feel like, okay, there's like a correctable maybe issue here that he could get beyond and start over. But it's, there doesn't really seem to be anything like he just can't pitch without being in too much pain to come back and pitch again. Um, and it's kind of really hard to know how that's like, what's how that's going to change or anything. I mean, he's only, I think he's only 21 still. Um, so he's young and maybe there's something that can be done, but, um, but I, I don't see the Tigers really doing anything about it. Like he hasn't changed his, his motion. And if throwing over the top, the way he does is part of the problem. They haven't, haven't really addressed that at all. Um, and it just kind of feels like they're just, you know, kind of it's just a groundhog day situation where you know every once in a while Franklin Perez comes up on the mound and he pitches and then he feels sore and he sees a shadow and then he's gone for six to eight weeks you know and we see what happens after that so oh I don't know so it's pretty I don't know it's been pretty depressing because it just kind of keeps happening the same way over and over again and this is twice now where I've predicted this happening and when I can predict something happening um, you know, it's gotten pretty predictable. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to think there. But um, but it did kind of leaven some of the enthusiasm about seeing some of the younger guys like Lipschitz and, um, and yeah, Nick Quintana and Riley Green and those guys all making their debuts this week, which which is cool. Um, this is kind of a fun week um, for those of us following the minor leagues because those guys start getting their assignments. And, you know, Connecticut's going now and GCL started yesterday. So the Gulf Coast League's going to be in play for a couple months. 
Um, so there's a lot of action going on there, and that part of it is cool, but man, the Franklin Perez thing is a drag. Because the funny thing is, every time he comes back, he still looks kind of good. Yeah. Like, the stuff yeah. still looks good, and he's still throwing hard with, you know, good life, and the curveball looks good. Um, he's got good command for his age and experience level. I mean, he's almost like a natural in that regard. Uh, but then he can't stay healthy. And then you look at him and the kid is like bulked out. Like he is a thick, he's a thick boy. Um, <laughs> spell that however you want. And, uh, and you just kind of, I don't know if maybe he should try to like trim some of that muscle and get a little bit leaner. I mean, I don't, I just don't know. So anyway, yeah, there's uh there's your kind of tale of two halves from the Tigers farm system this week where there was some good, but uh, but then there was that happening again, and that's um, that's become really really frustrating and kind of depressing. Yeah, that's that's why we didn't lead off the episode with it when we were talking about the positive things. Yeah, we tried to go full bright side for a second. <laughs> All right, before we move on to a couple other topics that we want to hit beyond the Tigers, um, the last thing I wanted to kind of talk about is um, you know Jake Rogers hit his fourth home run on Monday night um, in nine games. Um, it's still not like necessarily hitting for high average, but he's just not going to. Um, but he is mashing. Um, he's kind of been rolling. Um, Grayson Griner's locker was cleared out, according to Chris McCoskey today, which sounds like he's going to be on the injured list and then in Lakeland and then probably go to Toledo after that to get some work in. And you kind of feel like maybe his time... Maybe he just stays as, there. <laughs> yeah, like that. maybe he goes back down to kind of try to apply what he's learned a little bit. And that would open the door finally blessedly for Jake Rogers to come up. Um, and I think we would both love to see that, not just because we want to see Jake Rogers, but also because it would kind of be the kind of move that actually seems like a good oh, one. Yeah. Like smart. Yeah. Like smart, like forward thinking, Positive, helpful, hopeful, not, not based on trying to win this year or like, you know, or help Guardy pretend that, you know, Jordy Mercer and Josh Harris are going to come back and then we're going to go to the playoffs or whatever the hell. Um, but, you know, might come back and maybe help Matt Boyd and Shane Green still, you know, keep their keep their numbers where they're at and, and kind of help those two out so that we can trade them um, for the most that we can get for them. It's, you know, if they decide to trade Boyd um, and also would allow Jake Rogers to start getting acclimated to, to Major League Ball. Um, it doesn't really feel like, you know, there's there's a whole lot that he's going to learn at Toledo at this point. And as, yeah, we've kind of talked about, I've talked about it on the other podcasts, like once a guy is ready to play in the major leagues, you're not really doing yourself any favors by gaming and service time because you're wasting the time when he's at his peak as a player. Um, and Jake Rogers' best skill is his defense. He's never going to probably be like a great hitter of any sort, um, even by catching standards. But he yep. probably is going to be a really great um, catcher, catcher behind the plate. Yeah. So, I mean, I Which think is we... something that I feel like the Tigers have been missing since Alex Avila. And I mean, I, Avila haters can hate on me all they want for saying this, but I thought Avila was just a tremendous defensive and a great guy working with the pitchers. Like he's exactly what you wanted in that position. I loved Alex Avila behind the plate. Yep. Uh, yeah. I mean, I just, there's just something about Alex Avila. Like, you know, you know, he's a smart guy. Like when you listen to him talk about the game, he's just on a little bit different level than a lot of, you know, even other catchers that you hear from. And I think we both kind of figured that Alex Avila is probably going to end up being a manager someday if he wants to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, James McCann, like, got criticized numerous different times for being, you know, way too wrapped up in his own offensive numbers and stuff like that and not paying enough attention to his pitchers. Um, you know, John Hicks isn't really any kind of a catcher who you want to be out there regularly. Um, when he was hitting, it was kind of nice because you kind of had, like, well, he's not bad as a catcher and he can also hit, 
and that's kind of a decent balance between you know the two things it for a backup but um but yeah it just feels like you know it's time for the tigers to like move on with some things here and start cutting bait like watching i didn't watch much of it but i did see ryan carpenter um start for toledo last night and gave up 11 runs in three and two-thirds innings um you know we've we've still got like all these guys just hanging around <laughs> <laughs> who like have no everybody knows that they have no place in the major leagues they really have no place you know in the upper levels of anybody's farm system unless you're a contender and you're keeping them as some kind of depth um you know they're not yep. guys who are going to develop we've got guys like that all over the place um so yeah can we please please god move on and and start showing us some of the um some of the younger talent here and and start getting those guys acclimated and i do you think there's, I mean, it's hard to know if there's like good baseball reasons for this or not. It doesn't seem like it. Um, and I can't help feeling like the Tigers just really, really don't want to show their hand right now. Like, and by the Tigers, I mean like Al Avila and his front office who are hoping to get an extension probably this off season and, and probably aren't feeling real great about that. And also don't want to necessarily call up Willie Castro and Jake Rogers and have them be overwhelmed and struggle the way a lot of rookies do and then look even worse. Um, I don't know. That's kind of a shot at them, but I feel fine about it. No, no, throw it out. Yeah. Take all the shots you want. Yeah. I mean, you know, they're, they're not doing a good job. So, you know, maybe they're not horrible or the worst, but, um, but they're definitely not doing a good job. So I feel perfectly comfortable questioning them on all these things. I don't know. Can we just get some Jake Rogers? Can we get some Willie Castro? No, we cannot. Because I don't think it's asking too much. Brian Gardenhire is going uh, Dowell Lugo got sent down while we were recording, so I mean... But but they won't cut him. You know, they're like, ah, they, they just won't make any of these decisions. They're just trying to hang on to everybody forever. Uh, meanwhile, we're watching all the, all the new guys from the draft get pushed in to the system in various places, and man, it's, uh, it's crowded. <laughs> like, somebody's got to go somewhere in the system, and they're not really cutting anybody loose, and man, I, have I got a lot of suggestions of guys they could cut loose all the way down, so. Oh, so many. Yeah, so we'll see. I mean, at some point, I, they're just going to be forced to do these things, but it would be nice to see them kind of make some of these decisions, you know, just, just kind of because it was the right thing to do. Um, like they're going to bring Jordy Mercer and Josh Harrison back and play them the rest of the season. Um, that is, you know, idiotic, frankly, for a for a you know a team that's rebuilding to just bring those guys back, hold your own prospects down, so that these two veterans who don't really have a place in the game except as backups at this point can come up and pretend that you know that's going to turn things around and, well, we're going to stabilize the middle infield and burp, 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 all that, uh, all that talk that goes on as though the Tigers were contenders and were trying to win something. Um, and that disconnect between what the Tigers say they're trying to do and what they describe their own players like and then what Ron Gardenhire describes his players like and what Ron Gardenhire's goals seem to be all just seem to be very muddled and confused and there doesn't seem to be any kind of, uh, any kind of focus or plan to it. Um, and it continues to be very frustrating. I think most of us could live with it if you just brought up all the kids and we sucked. That'd be fine. Yeah. yeah. But having a whole bunch of old guys hanging around who suck, and by old I mean like, you know, 13 years younger than me, um, <laughs> it is really a drag. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe Hopefully after the All-Star break, sometime around then, the Tigers will start cutting some people loose and we'll finally get on with this. But, man, it's it's slow progress right now. Um, but yeah, I don't I know. I thought we were supposed to be upbeat on this podcast, Brandon. Oh, well, we started off that way just to kind of leaven things. But yeah, here we are in the darkness again. Into the darkness. 
but uh, you know, fortunately, while the Tigers, um, you know, are sucking and whatnot, other teams um, are having kind of even more like public um, idiocy and dumbassery afoot. Um, <laughs> so before we go into the Rays situation, let's talk about Mickey Calloway, Brody Van Wagenen, and the New York Mets because uh, that was that was one of the crazier stories of the past few days, and <laughs> I don't know if I fully processed just how weird that whole thing was. Yeah, there's a a lot to it that I don't get. Like, so from my understanding, and I missed some I of it. There was a bit of a situation. I can kind of describe it in yeah. the. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, okay. I just yeah. This the reporter was in the clubhouse, and Mickey Calloway came out of his office and looked like he was dressed to go home for the night. And obviously, Mickey Calloway, because the Mets have been struggling and there's all this weird internal stuff going on there. There's been a lot of rumors, and also because it's New York and the Mets, you know, just get beat on constantly um, and and almost play into it because of their inferiority complex to the Yankees. But um, but this reporter said, "Hey, I'll see you tomorrow, Mickey." And Mickey Calloway apparently took that to mean like some kind of joke that he was getting fired. I don't really know. Uh, that that never really became clear. But that's the only thing I can really imagine. And you know, called this reporter, you know, whatever, like called him some names and like kind of flipped out on him. And then Jason Vargas, who's a pitcher for the Mets, threatened to kick said reporter's ass to defend his manager. Like the whole thing just spiraled out of control, even though this reporter just said, hey, have a, you know, have a good night, Mickey. I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> and um, and so, yeah, you can take it from there w- with the, the attempts to spin this and, and sort of manage the PR fallout from that. But it was a, it was a bizarre or situation. Or the complete lack there. Era yeah, yeah. because like it's been ludicrous like the the Mets were the Mets were basically like this is you know unacceptable and we've you know spoken to the reporter and blah 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 and like they were all obviously admitting that a wrong was done yep, they fi- and they, that like they, issued they, they find Vargas they find Callaway so like it's not like they were just let go and a lot of people were like, oh, Callie's going to get fired. Like, this is going to be serious. Yep. Um, and then the next day, he basically, <laughs> this was like the most insane thing. So he's in a press conference and he's like, in a, just a media scrum before the show. The show? Oh my God, actually. <laughs> before the game. Um, and he's like, oh, no, I'm not going to apologize. Um, like, he basically outright refused to apologize. And made some pretty insane comparisons to other managers throughout history. Yeah, something saying, about Billy Martin. Yeah, yeah, Billy Martin punched a guy once. I think was his his thing. Like, so he could have been worse. I'm not sure yeah. where his logic was there. And so he goes through this whole thing where he, he just comes across sounding like both an asshole and an idiot. And then he sends everybody on their merry way, and then calls them back, which is insane. He calls the media back to the clubhouse and then is explains that he he apologized to the beat writer and that you know his his remarks were inappropriate and like full backpedaling from what he had just said like like less than 30 minutes before this right like the phone was still hot in his pocket and like hadn't hadn't gone into standby from the text he must have gotten from the front office like hey you know you have to apologize you have to say this and that and you didn't do anything yeah like you gotta try better because this is not this is not okay. Yeah. Like, you know, he got an earful and called them all back. But what I thought was kind of sweet that I heard afterwards was that apparently Jacob deGrom <laughs> was like offering to talk to anybody who wanted to about it. And he was just like being a really like open and so Jacob deGrom-y. Um, <laughs> I do like, love he's Jacob just, deGrom, yep. 
he's just such a gift. Like he was just willing to talk to anyone and just like, Hey guys, if you want a statement, I can give you a statement. And so it's just been bonkers. And that's not it for the Mets madness. Um, But I, I'll let you talk about the other thing that's apparently that uh, they're yeah, new GM is sending them messages in the dugout. Yeah, because if it seemed stage managed that he non apologized and then immediately, you know, twenty minutes later called everybody back to kind of apologize, like still like didn't just come out and say like I'm really sorry for what I did. I mean, I lost my cool. You know, that's totally unacceptable and unprofessional. You know, we appreciate the work that the you know that the journalists do. You know, covering the team and and what it does to promote our franchise and you know, mm-hmm. communicate to the fan base. He didn't, you know, all that kind of crap, um, you know, and had to, and then has to come back and, and kind of make those apologies. But that's not the only thing being stage managed. Apologies. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah, apparently Brody Van Wagenen is, you know, up in the stands texting him. Um, here, I'll read the headline from CBS Sports. Mets GM Brody Van Wagenen reportedly has dictated Mickey Calloway's in-game management from his home. So he apparently the Mets new GM, who of course was Jacob deGrom and Noah Syndergaard's agent before the season, which adds even more fuckery to the whole um, giant pot of, of bizarro world. Act- yeah, definitely no bias Mets there. Land. Yeah, uh, is apparently sitting at home, you know, texting Millie, Mickey Calloway instructions, you know, for how he's supposed to manage the game. Um, and... I guess the one incident that was really, you know, kind of highlighted was that Van Wagenen apparently was watching a Jacob deGrom start at home, um, communicated to a manager of the Mets support staff with an order to remove deGrom from the game. Callaway complied with the order and deGrom was visibly upset as he departed the field, certain that he could have continued pitching. Um, The manager was grilled for the move, but at the time had to insist that the decision was his. So, you know, Mickey Callaway, you know, for all his fault in some of these things, also appears to be just in a terrible position where, you know, the Wilpons who own the Mets are just a, just a, you know, kind of a head case um, as far as like an ownership group goes to begin with. And then they hire in, you know, this slick agent who is now giving orders to protect his former client um, in a game to his manager. And then the manager has to, can't come out and say like, oh yeah, the GM gave orders on that because that's not how, how this works in baseball. The GM doesn't, doesn't manage from the, from the press box or wherever he's at or from his suite. Um, and if something like that is happening, you can be assured that um, everything is just fucked at that point. And that seems to be the case with the, with the Mets. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. It was just, uh, it's just been kind of baffling and, you know. It's bizarro. LOL Mets has been a thing for a really long time, and it just shows no sign, no sign of slowing down. Yeah, it's uh, it's insane. I don't even know what to make of it. Like, we're talking about the way, like, the Boston Red Sox got in huge trouble for having, like, using their, you know, eye watches or whatever. Yeah. So, I mean, how is this any different is my question. Yeah, there is that, too. I don't even know... I don't even know exactly how that how that works, but yeah, you would think if someone is sitting at home watching the broadcast, um, you know, watching all the Statcast data come up and whatever else, and then calling in instructions, I, I'm not sure, not sure that's allowed either. <laughs> then again, like all those games yeah, are on up seems... in the clubhouse, so I'm sure like all the starters who are up there, you know, just hanging out while the game's going on, riding the exercise bike or whatever, and watching the game can see that stuff and relay information. But you're not supposed to be able to do it electronically. Like that's supposed to be kind of the rule. 
And so there's that part of it, but then there's also just the part of, you know, Brody Van Wagen and making it look like there's some huge beef between Jacob deGrom and Mickey Calloway because Mickey Calloway pulled Jacob deGrom out of that game. Jacob deGrom was really upset about it. And Mickey Calloway had to pretend that was his decision um, to protect his GM, who is turning around and, and just screwing him on the deal. I don't know. It's a tangled, uh, it's a tangled and beautiful soap opera over there. Yeah, it's just like the most dramatic thing to happen to baseball lately. And since their hand, foot and mouth debacle last year. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and yeah, man, lol Mets is legit. Well, I mean, even this year, I'm not sure. I'm not even sure if that's the craziest thing, because that whole um, Yuena Cespedes press release when he, you know, whatever, like shredded everything in his knee and they were like, and he didn't do that. You know, they were really specific about it. Like he didn't do that falling off a horse or it didn't have anything to do with horses. But then, of course, it turned out that he was out on his ranch and like stepped in a hole or something. Um, so <laughs> I don't know. All the press releases about that were weird. The whole UN assessment of situation just seems like an utter clusterfuck, too. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's bizarro land. I don't know. I mean, I guess I would say that it's more fun to be a Mets fan than a Tigers fan. Because is it? I don't know. I mean, Peter Alonso is really fun. <laughs> um, you have Degrom, and you have you know you got Thor and Zach Wheeler's kind of pitch good, but but it's almost but it's certainly more frustrating. It's like watching like the 2008 or or 10 Tigers probably, where you're just like, why can't this team get it together? They've got a bunch of good <laughs> pitching. I mean, they're not as good as the Tigers were in those years, but you know you can see it like maybe somehow coming together. It's not like the Phillies are running away with anything, and the Braves are ahead now and may end up running away with some things. Our boy uh, our boy Gabe might be in a little bit of uh, hot water at some point. I don't know. Uh, yeah. 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 Somebody was giving me some grief for that the other day. Like, oh, you wanted Gabe Kapler here, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I, I kind of so still do want Gabe Kapler. I thought, like, taking on a job where you weren't necessarily trying to win and he could get some experience and hopefully help all of our young guys was, you know, kind of a decent starting point. But of course, we also yeah. knew that like there's no way like Gabe Kapler fits in with this organization or <laughs> the way not as it currently things. is. Yeah, he might fit in under the Heim Bloom reign. Yep, yep. When Heim Bloom takes over, actually, actually, I don't even think that's true. I think Heim Bloom would find somebody different. But I'm not even sure if Heim Bloom would 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 get the job. Would Chrisilla tire him? I don't know. Please God, let 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 them reach out to Mr. Bloom this this offseason. Dude. Dare to dream, Brandon. Yeah. Dare and then to dream. I will declare Bloomsday on the day of that hiring, <laughs> and there will be two of them, and James Joyce's one can just kind of like, you know, just coexist, and I will be perfectly happy. <laughs> I like it. All right. All right. You want to, um, before we roll, you want to talk about um, the fact that the Tampa Bay Ra- Rays are being torn apart and um, ca- cast oh, asunder, God. and they're going to. I'm reading my notes here. Be put on a floating island where they will play baseball in international waters <laughs> forever and be claimed by no nation. <laughs> I don't know. Be claimed. Wow, that sounds about yeah, right. I don't know what's um, going on. So the the suggestion right now, which had a baseball Twitter all a Twitter uh, at the end of last week, was that. Tampa Bay Rays have been granted permission to have a discussion about splitting their home games between St. Petersburg and Montreal. And there hasn't been really a lot of discussion as to how this would work, um, how this would impact players' families, um, because now you're talking about players' families having to travel internationally if they're going to spend time living in Canada and in the States. 
Um, it hasn't been addressed what would happen in the postseason if the Rays were to make it and like how oh, those games deep. would be played at home. Um, so there's so much that is all up in the air that is all logical questions that nobody really has answers Doesn't for. Doesn't it seem impossible? It just seems like there's it is. so many it seems things. Like- truly impossible um if you're not doing it just as like a, a you know um One series, an like exhibition a, series yeah, yeah. like in theory the rays have the liberty to do about 10 games away from their current um home situation and i think they may flirt with doing those games in montreal just to be like see look there was a press conference today with uh, the Rays owner, Stu Sternberg, and he was talking about how the whole plan relies on both teams having new stadiums. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> well, good, good, good luck with that. Like, if Montreal is going to build a stadium, I think they're going to want a team there full time. Yeah. Um, and then he talked about how there had been interest from Montreal in purchasing the team or having them move. Uh, and he declined that. Um, so the, the crux of it is basically that he does not believe that the Tampa Bay area has shown that it can support having a home team 81 games a year. And I think that that's legit. I think that there have been attendance problems for Rays, the Rays for a very, very long time. It is of course, one of the running jokes. Um, and, but he also wants a new stadium too. And he really (laughs) wants a new stadium. He wants two new stadiums now. Yeah, now he wants two in, you know, different countries. Um, So, (laughs) billionaires, man. Yeah. Um, So, I don't know. To me, this is an impossible suggestion that will never happen. Um, And when it initially happened, I assumed it was just them playing um, chicken with the local government to get their stadium. To be like, oh, you don't want to give us what we want or give us the zoning or give us the finance. We'll take the team to Canada. Like, that's it. I'm moving to Canada, basically, for half of the year. Um, It's insanity. (laughs) Oh, man. um, I don't don't see how it can work on any feasible level. Um, (laughs) I just... I don't. Like, I don't. (laughs) I can't just... Um, I, I don't, and I'll eat my words when it does eventually happen and I'll, you know, be thrilled to have another team in Canada, but yeah, well, to that's me, the thing, right. It's, it's so impossible to, to imagine that with all the issues they haven't been able to solve already, just in St. Petersburg and, and Tampa and that whole milieu that you're somehow going to like expand this whole thing to a whole nother country and city. Yeah. And make well, and make it all some somehow work out, and because of that, everyone I think isn't that that's the gist of why everyone just assumes this is some kind of just a pissing match with you know with whatever city government or whoever's whoever's involved in deciding uh, deciding these things that it's just a kind of a, a weird non threat that like no one is really going to be able to take that seriously. But then again, the league gave them permission to explore it, right? Yeah, and it's and it may be coming to back to bite them too because honestly, I, I think that now the St. Petersburg mayor is looking into the legalities of this because of course the Rays are under kind of a current stadium contract until twenty twenty seven. Yeah, they can't leave. Um, so they can't leave. <laughs> but um and I, I don't know that there's a way they can legally and for them to be having discussions about selling the team during that time, I think may actually be a very big problem for them. Um, oh, and I just don't understand <laughs> any of the logistics of how it's supposed to actually like work <laughs> like, to be a hundred percent honest. I don't, 
I don't see a realistic way to make this happen. Where I can't, I can't imagine the MLBPA not having issues with this. Like I said, oh, yeah. you have players and their families. You have all sorts of. It's not just coming into America, like to Canada for a, a series and needing your passport. It's living there. God, I didn't and, even think about that. That you need like you basically need two residences to kind of have any kind of a yeah. normal life by Major League Baseball family standards. And I, and I mean, I know a lot of, a lot of like more established families just have a residence. Like sure. I know we talked about Al Avila, Alex Avila and like his family lives in, in Florida most of the time, I think. Um, and like just kind of sees him when they can, but a lot like of guys rent out, you know, each other's places and, and that, there's a whole network, but still, yeah. Yeah. Because it's easier, I guess for, you know, if you establish yourself in a central location, um, it's easier to have a normal life for your kids. Um, but man, splitting in 81 games, 81 home games between two nations is very difficult. I, I don't see, yeah, especially moving it, especially moving it to state uh, to, okay. So here's the other problem, right? You're moving now to a province where the primary, the legally required first language is French. Like everything in Quebec is French first, English second. Oh, for fuck's sake. I didn't even think and about that. And then you have tons <laughs> of players on the Rays specifically who are are Latino players, who are Spanish speakers first. Um, you know, like your Yandi Diaz's, your Willie Adamas's. These are like Spanish-speaking guys. Maybe it puts everybody on the same footing because no one can speak the language. <laughs> yeah, and now you're moving everybody to a place where their day-to-day life is going to be like, oh, well, now you also have to learn French. <laughs> like, oh man yeah i didn't even yeah. think about all this there's so much involved mm-hmm. holy smokes this is all, all the stuff that i've thought of and over that's before you make the playoffs and then we have to figure out yeah where we hold the yeah, playoff series and the who gets the revenue and oh my yeah. god on yeah, the other hand splitting the home games in between like and are you going to be called the montreal rays while you're there and then you will sell double double the merchandise in in every way. I assume you probably would, because that's probably like another part of the impetus. Like, ah, we'll have double jerseys for everything. Yeah, or do they suddenly become the expos when they're there? Like Yeah. And don't and doesn't and don't they want their own team? Like I mean we keep talking about expansion in the background and that certainly seems like the most likely landing spot. Like you would think that well, Montreal would be at least as good a, a market as as Tampa St. Pete. Um, well, it's probably one of the better, ones that but... always comes up. And yeah. I, I think that a lot of people look at this as maybe like a soft sell, like the, the, the kind of like slow move, like how if you have a girlfriend and she just slowly starts putting her stuff into your drawers. Yeah. And your t-shirt um, starts ending up just Until suddenly and... like, she, you know, all of her makeup is in your medicine cabinet. <laughs> um I feel like a lot of people think that that's what's happening here. Oh my God, this um, this really hits home now. You, you you brought it right home with that metaphor. <laughs> I'm really good at metaphors yeah. today, man. I don't know what to tell you. Crushing it. Um, but it's um. I guess that was a simile, but it's it's gonna be a thing, and I'm gonna punch you in the face next time I see you for correcting <laughs> simile. Uh, oh, and that's just a promise. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah, I don't know if this whole thing is wild, but man, I understand sometimes why rooting for the Rays is just fascinating, because it's just a carnival over there. You just never know. It's good, it's bad, it's good again. I mean, their baseball's been really solid, but it's just such a shit show behind the scenes with this stadium drama, and now the moving drama, and and all of that. Oh, hello, neighbor cat. I have a little black and white cat in our yard that comes through every day, and he's Dottie's nemesis. (laughs) 
Um, so she'll like go from one window to the next at incredible speed just to, to watch him walk through the yard. Does she chatter at him? No, she, no? she just stares intently with like her face pressed up against the glass. If it wasn't, if she wasn't holding me back, you don't even yeah, know, it, I don't even know what I'd do to you. It's like, I just want you to know I'm watching you. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know what's going to go I, on I there, but that's, that's some crazy the... shit. All the baseball news that's fit to print. Yep, I think it, I think that that should be about enough. I think. <laughs> I'm, I'm like you brought up so many things I hadn't considered because I read like two articles about about the Rays thing like over the weekend and something else today, but I hadn't even thought about like all the all the player issues and yeah, like what would happen under all these scenarios. Jeez, yeah, it just seems impossible. I have to agree. Well, well and that's why I get all saucy when people who have like no stake in the Rays whatsoever. Um, have all these hot takes on the topic. And I'm like, you guys couldn't even name three players on this team if I quizzed you. Um, not to be like a gatekeeping Rays fan, but I love it when people like other sports writers jump in and they have all these opinions. Yeah. And I'm like, you guys, you're not here for this every day. Yeah. <laughs> like, sorry. There were a lot of people who were like, wait a minute, this the, the basic shred of this story that I've just heard fits all my narratives and just like went yeah, with it for a second. Let me give you all my opinions that don't have any like backing or education behind them. Well, things that do have education and backing behind them are Ashley's YouTube videos. <laughs> I just want everybody to know that I don't pay him to do this every week. No, it's no, just we a just very it's a cool considerate yeah, we just think it's a cool service project. that he offers me. <laughs> Yep. Um, this week, uh, we had one today on war, um, which I got to thank. A couple people shared it, and it's gotten a lot of takeoff. So, oh, yeah, um, I, I got to give Eno Saris props because I feel like he is almost solely. Oh, and RotoWare shared it for some reason. Oh, so, yeah. I'm sure that didn't hurt. Um, but it's gotten the most first day views, I think, of almost anything I've ever released. Um, so, that all one's out. All writers are tired of explaining war to fans. <laughs> <laughs> That's what that all comes down to. Although um, one of the guys from from Buck's Dugout did make a suggestion um, about how I kind of should have mentioned WAA in the mix as well. So I think I'm going to do a war versus WAA um, comparison because he made some really valid points about where the value in each one is that I hadn't even considered. Oh, yeah. Um, and about how like a player's like on field value is more weighted by WAA, but whereas their like trade or financial value is definitely more weighted by war. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, oh, that's and he's he fully valid point. So I'm like, that would make for a very interesting episode. So um, that'll be one that comes down the line. <laughs> but um, in much stupider news, <laughs> um, my Thursday video is all about baseball team nicknames. Oh yeah. Um, Where they <laughs> came is, from, and yeah. No, not even oh, the base. Okay. I just list baseball team nicknames for like 15 minutes. It's ludicrous. Bronx um, and I hope everyone enjoys oh, it. Uh, <laughs> just there, no, there were definitely some ones that I'd never heard before and they were amazing. Um, and then Saturday is a cup of coffee. Oh, yeah. Cup of coffee. In, in lingo lessons. Yeah. So, oh, I like that one too. Uh, so that's, and then next week I have one on Tuesday that I just finished editing. It's going to be all about the all-star game and the history of the all-star break and all that just in time for the all-star break. Ah, yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yep. Yeah. Nice and timely. I love it. I, I'm trying now. <laughs> we'll try not to like post my post-season breakdown video in like August. We'll get, you know, <laughs> something up in October. Right on. 
All right. Yeah, I guess that's going to about do it for tonight. Um, we'll see. Maybe later on this week. Um, we'll see how things kind of go on the farm system. If there's something that strikes my fancy um, that I feel the need to yell at you all about for a half hour, I will do so. But um, I wouldn't expect that. We'll see. It's kind of in the mid, mid-season mid now where we're all traveling and starting to do things and just, just trying to keep our normal coverage going. Um, so I will be heading to Kansas City to see the Tigers play. So I will be heading far from the Tigers to the Upper Peninsula. Um, well done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, do some kayaking and biking up there. But um, we are hashing out our Tigers midseason top thirty prospect list um, right now. So we've been arguing about that in the background, and um, and that stuff will start to come out pretty soon. I'm not sure exactly when our managing editor Rob Brojacki has that um, has that dialed in um, to to, to kind of launch that, but. Um, That'll be coming up, and we'll all have all that to argue about, and we've got a whole bunch of new prospects in the system to watch, and maybe at some point the Tigers um, will, will will find a player with enough fiber to move the bowel obstruction-like clog in the system <laughs> along, and then try to start getting some of these uh, some of the prospects up to the farm system because yeah, it just seems like there's just a whole bunch of just a random you know stuff stuck in there you know full of corn cans of it and god knows what. oh sweet jesus this is a (laughs) word picture you are painting wow all right so we went out uh, we went out the way we came in (laughs) we went out on a chunky note apparently whoa you're so i'm so glad you guys stuck out to the end yeah good job good job everyone <laughs> until next week. Yeah, until next week. Stunning episode. Yeah, we could have left. We could have left that as a cliffhanger too, but we won't. <laughs> <laughs> will the bowel movement? Will it finally? Yeah, will the damn bird? We'll find out who's catching for the team next week. Oh man! All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Um, yep. Please follow Ashley at ninety feet from home on Twitter. Follow me at fiscadoro seventy four on Twitter. Read all of our work at bleshyboys.com or Ashley's Ray stuff at DRays Bay. I guess if you want. Um, Actually, have a good night. (laughs) You too, man. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Bye.